Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith here with your welcome toast. It was Sidney Smith who said, soup and fish explain half the emotions of life. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on this special edition of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. My treasured food buddy is here, Chris Prosperi of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Hey, Chris. Hey, Faith. What a response we had to our guest when we had her on the show. That's why I've asked her back. She is a neuroscientist who studies why you eat what you eat, and uncovers in the process fascinating stories about how our brains work, especially the keys to why we all overeat, how aromas can help us lose weight, how we can enjoy our food to the maximum while using our minds to outsmart our minds. Here's the thing. You put a package of my favorite cookies in the house, and I know where they are, and I'm going to eat at least three in one sitting, especially when I'm watching TV. So I put our guest, Dr. Rachel Herz's findings to the test. When I started thinking of the cookies in the freezer one night, I went to a vial of scent that I love, and I brought it downstairs to the TV room, and I sniffed it a couple of times, and I swear to you, just like that, craving for those cookies was interrupted. Dr. Herz is about to tell us why this works. We'll find out how we eat with our eyes, why we only have so much willpower capacity in our brains, and how to work with that. There are things to do. Also, how to appreciate the taste of your food and drink even more than you do. This book is truly one of the most interesting and useful books I've read this year. Dr. Hers is back now, and thanks to her and her publisher, we have made arrangements to send Why You Eat What You Eat to you or to someone you love as our thank you gift for supporting the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze and Connecticut Public shows you enjoy. I, for instance, am a huge fan of Wait, Wait. <laughs> so if you're with me, okay. Uh, our guest neuroscientist, Dr. Rachel Hurst, teaches at Brown University and Boston College, and she is also a professional consultant, and you'll understand why as we do this show. Welcome back. Thank you, Faith. Great to be on. Maybe we should ask you this first question before we begin. Why did you do this book? The easiest, most obvious answer is I love food. <laughs> I love to eat. And uh, the second answer, which is a little bit more deeply related to my research, is that I have been studying the sense of smell and also more recently taste and flavor for my entire research career. Given my background, I felt like this would be a good way to put both my 
personal passions and my research passions together. As always happens when we are doing a show like this, we're going to talk to you, then have these short breaks, asking people, there's no secret about this, to become members of the station, to give a gift, and then we send your book as a thank you gift. I want to get to a lot of things that I didn't get to when you were on the show last time. You did say this, that the exhaling when you take a bite of something, we think of it as bacon comes into the room, first you smell it on the way to the table, and then it's in front of you. And I think that by breathing in, there it is. That's what makes my taste buds work. But you say something about exhaling in the book. How does that work? What we all probably say when we talk about um, our experience of eating is the word taste, but I'm sure almost everyone actually means flavor, and flavor is all about the nose, and it's all about breathing, but breathing in the aroma of food that's in our mouth. When you inhale, you're obviously taking air in, but when you exhale, that is when the aromas that are in your mouth are capable of traveling up through this opening, which is at the back of the mouth, into the nose and stimulating the odor receptors that are there in your nose and giving you that mm. simultaneous experience of aroma while you have the taste in your mouth. So the taste wow. of bacon is just salt, but it's as a function of exhaling and bringing all those aromas that are so fabulous with bacon into your nose that you have that simultaneous salty and fabulous aroma sensation, and that is what flavor is. To understand that and to try to take that in without being too, too geeky and embarrassing is to take a moment to really truly appreciate each bite of what you eat, which means something, although we're going to get into more of that as we go along. This thing that I mentioned, Dr. Hurst, where – can I call you Rachel? Do you Absolutely. mind? Okay. When you said that I could interrupt my craving with the smell of something – I thought, oh, let me try this with a sense, I think, inside that this is not going to work if I have my cookies in the freezer. I could not let go of the thought that they were in there. Right? And, you all, and you always win, right? When you're having that conversation with yourself, those cookies are there. And you always win oh, and I go get the everything. cookies, right? Willpower, you try to, to convince yourself not. Ridiculous. And, and, but you're going for those cookies. Yeah, because I'm working. I'm watching <laughs> the news on TV. I'm... This was shocking to me. Even knowing that I'm doing the experiment, I completely let go of it. What made that happen? First of all, I'm going to say that you probably weren't really physiologically hungry because if you are truly physically hungry, then you need to eat and this probably won't be as successful. But what's happened is when you've smelled something that you really like that has personal significance to you, it totally changes your mental state, most particularly your mood state. So you go from being in a state of craving those cookies to a state of feeling emotionally connected to whatever the scent is and the memories and the associations and so far that are part of that scent. And now you are taken away from that feeling of craving because odors are, the perception of odors is directly tied to where emotion and emotional memory and motivation is processed in the brain. And none of our other senses has this kind of interest intimate and direct connection to that deep emotional motivational experience. The thing I chose was a suntan lotion that had a coconut flavor, which reminded me of my entire youth at the beach. That aroma is across the beach. And so I see what you're talking about in terms of memories being but, potent. But why is food so powerful? I never get a craving to go to the beach like I do a craving for those cookies in the freezer. Good question. 
the craving for food is deeply tied to our ability to survive. <laughs> and, you know, if we didn't crave food, then we wouldn't eat and we wouldn't live. And so having this built-in desire for food over and above even sometimes the physiology of needing food is actually essential for our capability to thrive and stay healthy and survive and have enough energy to fight off whatever is coming at us until the next day. So desire for food is deeply tied to actually our survival, both as individuals and generally as a species. And the only thing that can compete with food is sex. (laughs) And for the same basic biological reasons, if we didn't have sex, our species would not be here. And so these are really, really deep basic biological drives, and they can unfortunately plague us in ways where we don't always want them to because we have ample calories already and we don't necessarily need cravings Mm -hmm. for cookies or donuts to keep us going to the next day. So big question, and to get to it early on in the show, how does knowing all this affect my brain when these things are happening to me? You go through situations that we all know so well that cause us to binge eat, to eat at the buffet over and over again, to, yeah. uh, to overeat in a situation, oh, yeah. to eat what we don't want to eat. How does knowing all this help my mind solve the problem I'm confronted with at the time? Well, I think that your personal experiment with the cookies is one of the wonderful ways I would love for people to take home some of the messages in my book is actually to put some of these things that I explain to the test in their own personal lives. But more subtly, maybe more to the point with all the many examples I give, I feel like having the knowledge that you are actually mentally in control of things, if you just stop and take a minute to think about all the influences that are around you and all the things that I explain in my book about what's going on, When we confront food, I feel that that will give people the power back to take their relationship with food into their own terms rather than feel that food controls them. So it's really about the power of knowledge. And then if you can, implement some of those things too. Like with respect to the buffet, the simple trick is just sit really far away in the restaurant. Do not sit right beside that open, hot buffet table. Inherent laziness there will take over. And especially now if you already know this, even if you start thinking, hmm, maybe I'll get up and go back, then you'll think, do I actually really want to go back and eat another huge plate of, you know, whatever casserole that I loved the first time? Or am I just doing it because I think I want it or it's right there in front of me? How do I win the argument? Should I have some? I'm not really hungry. I don't want any. Well, I think you need to ask a deeper question and also maybe while you're actually eating it, which is, am I actually getting the pleasure that I wanted from this food Mm -hmm. when I was dreaming about eating it compared to when I'm actually consuming it? And certainly when you first go and load up your plate with food and the first couple of bites are going to be truly unctuous and delicious. But after you've been eating it for a while, and especially after you're thinking about going back for seconds, think about whether or not the pleasure of the food is really there. And even if you go and get some, are you really getting what you wanted from it in terms of that joy? And if you're not, no, push it aside. Mm. This is Dr. Rachel Hers, who teaches at both Brown University and Boston College. And she has done this book, Why You Eat What You Eat. It's the science behind our relationship with food, and there are so many keys to how to deal with food in a relationship. Very quickly, because we're coming up to one of these short breaks, and then we continue our conversation. Many years ago, I was kind of famous among my circle of friends for leaving 
a certain amount of food on my plate. I just knew that's enough. As I'm at this stage in my life, I finish things whether I'm hungry or not. What has changed in my brain? Well, that's a great question, and I don't know if I can answer that in the best scientific terms, but I can say that from a psychological perspective, what happens is sometimes, I mean, unfortunately, as we get older to a certain extent, the sort of motivation in many things we do tends to wane, how committed we are to going to the gym or doing other sorts of things that we were, when we were somewhat younger, very regimented about. And and in general, just as we get older, this sort of passion, in a sense, behind these motivations tends to decline somewhat. And that does have to do with things that are going on in the brain during aging. And I would say to a certain extent that your willpower there with respect to I'm not finishing or the kind of strictness you had with yourself has also just diminished, but also maybe because you've changed your attitude about what it means to eat. And that's completely fine, too. So if you want to finish everything on your plate, that's also great. But again, just taking the time to think about, is this something that really is giving you pleasure in doing? Pleasure has taken its rightful place. Um, Okay. Rachel Hers, a neuroscientist, author of this book, please stay right where you are. We're going to take a short break to explain how your book is a thank you gift to those who are listening or, or, or listen to our show on a fairly regular basis and just appreciate having public radio in their lives. So stay with us, Rachel. Well, I feel excited because a neuroscientist just gave me permission to be the president of the Clean Plate Club if I choose to do that. If you You're would, too young. Yeah. <laughs> if you would also like to flip through this book because there are all kinds of wonderful tips and ways to distract yourselves from maybe making a bad food decision a month or a one-time pledge of $96 is what you need to give Connecticut Public Radio to have this book sent to your doorstep. 1-800-584-2788. That's the number to call to support our show, The Food Schmooze, and all the local shows you hear on Connecticut Public Radio. Or you can also go to foodschmooze.org and look for that red donate button in the right-hand corner of our homepage. It will lead you to a Food Schmooze exclusive pledge page where you can pick Dr. Herz's book and have this book sent to your door. Here's the thing about what we do. When we pick an item, I am working so hard to curate things for you. We say... Do we, all of us, stand behind this four square? This is the thing that we can highly recommend to you. And then we have the author on because this is about first editorial content. And second, we want to say to use this book and this guest to say to you, this is an example of what we do. And we ask, help us stay on the air. Help us stay commercial free. This is how it works on public radio. If you appreciate it as I do, I'm a listener myself, so are these folks. Here's the number, $8 a month or a one-time gift of $96. Toll-free, 1-800-584-2788. I noticed on the dedication page of Why You Eat What You Eat, Dr. Hers dedicates this book to a loved one and then all people who love to eat. And that's our people. This book is dedicated to our listeners. Yes, including us. That's right. Thank you, Dr. Hers. I really appreciate this book. 
You're very welcome. <laughs> so again, 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to support our show, or you can click that red donate button on the right hand of our homepage when you go to foodschmooze.org. And you're going to find out as we go forward how your dining companion influences how you eat at the table. The brain is just the most amazing thing. I mean, not only do we find out in this book how the brain works and why it does what it does, but also how you use your own mind to circumvent your mind. I mean, really, that's what we're talking about. Is there another animal in the entire world of the animal species that has the ability to do this? I don't know. But as we go on, you're not going to believe the things you're going to hear. I just, I cannot read this book without turning to anyone who's around and saying, listen to this. It's so fascinating. And then everybody asks me a lot of questions as if I'm the neuroscientist, and of course I'm not. I'm just here saying food schmooze is something that Chris and I and Robin adore doing, not only to be together with Alex and Mark as a group, but to feel as if we are having a dinner party with you as you listen. I mean that. It's like we're having people over. So $8 a month, toll-free number is 1-800-584-2788, and bring your credit card to the phone. It makes it much easier, and Robin will tell you uh, how to go online and do this, too. You can also go to, if it's easier for you, foodschmooze.org, and you will see the red Donate button in the right-hand corner of our homepage. Click that, and you'll go to a Food Schmooze exclusive pledge page where Rachel's book is front and center. Just pick it and make your donation of $8 a month or a one-time gift of $96, and you can start putting some of this book into practice. There's many amazing facts in here that... uh, this is the book you want to have all these facts to go to when you're at the next dinner party. Right. You want to be fascinating. (laughs) Here's your answer. (laughs) I learned so much. So one more time, 1-800-584-2788. Please call now and pick this book up to help support our show. And thanks. Cornbread had a fight. Beans, Beans not cornbread out of sight. Beans. Cornbread said, Now that's all right. Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Beans. I'll be ready. I'm Faith Middleton with my treasured food buddy, Chris Prosperi. Just wanted to remind you that you can sign up for our free podcast, which is a copy of the show. It will arrive in your inbox every week. Chris does it. I do. (laughs) And um, so do I. Our guest is Dr. Rachel Hers, who teaches at Brown University and Boston College and is a consultant to people in the food world. She explains things in such a clear way. One of the most interesting books I have read all year, I've now read it twice, because I'm trying to work with 
how my brain responds to food for my betterment and pleasure and health, but also to my detriment. I mean, that's just the way it is with our relationship with food. And some people have it an even larger struggle. So to understand how the brain works with relationship to food is so important. And you will know when you finish this book, Why You Eat What You Eat by Dr. Rachel Hers. I love this part where you said, this is about who you're dining with. You said in here, you know how when you are with certain people and they have a southern accent or they're from Italy or France, I am famous for doing this. I start speaking as they do, as if I have just come to this country from Italy or France. No, I mean, I do. Yes. I speak with them I like we, we are the same. Yeah. We are from this country. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've had friends say to me, when is Faith Middleton coming back in Italy? You know, it's like, Um, So that gets to something that the brain does, which is to try to identify with the other person. How does this relate to food, Rachel? That's a wonderful example. I'm glad you have that experience, and so do I. The more you're a mimicker, actually, the more you're empathic as a person, the more you kind of pick up on other people and kind of share and reflect back how they feel. So that's also something really good about your personality. When it comes to eating, we actually do the same things, and we do it more with people with whom we are in good relationships with, with whom we really like or whom we admire, whom we're trying to impress. And what we do is we basically eat at the same pace. We'll often eat the same foods at the same time or just right after the other person, especially let's say if there's a communal plate on the table. You could imagine two people mimicking each other kind of simultaneously, and that can happen as well. And that certainly does happen in long-term established relationships like friends and spouses and things. However, if you're eating with someone you don't like, you won't do what they do. So if you're like ex-spouse and you are getting together over a meal to discuss some finances from the past and they take a bun from the collective bread tray, you won't do that. Mm-hmm. You, you hurl it onto the yeah. floor, I think. Yeah. Okay. Also, you talk about how the brain works with its own sense that you are being watched when you eat, either by the people at the table or maybe other diners, and how does that affect how you eat? This is also interestingly related to our basic survival in that we don't like to be watched. It is threatening to be stared at, and especially when we're doing something that makes us somewhat vulnerable, and food and eating actually is something that makes us vulnerable because while we're eating, we don't have eyes at the back of the head, so we don't know when the enemy could be approaching and things like this. So when we're in sort of uncomfortable situations, we don't like to be eating. And when someone's staring at us, that makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we are less likely to eat. And what was really fascinating also for me when I came across this study that was done was that this study actually looked at how far this mechanism would actually go. And in this case, had a papier-mâché head (laughs) of somebody on the table while people were eating. And in another condition, had that same papier-mâché head on the table while people were doing things like studying, for example. And when the, the head was on the table while people were eating, people would get up and leave. But if the head were on the table, they were just studying or reading, doing something else, they were completely fine with it. There is 
a chapter in your book, and this is Dr. Rachel Hers, author of Why You Eat What You Eat, and she's a neuroscientist. She studies the brain, and she studies all the studies. This is what academics do, and then gather the information and do their own work. This sense of being full, you know how they always say, eat like a king in the morning, a prince at lunch, and uh, a pauper <laughs> at, at yeah. dinner time. Yeah. So just lighten up the food as the day goes along. You have a chapter in here about what makes people feel full, and I would ask what makes that lasting. So some people will say, oh, you should eat every you know, hour how does this affect the way we eat and how we can get into trouble? The current diet advice about how you should eat, what you should eat, when you should eat, right. needs really to be taken with a grain of salt because that is constantly changing information. For example, it's not the case that if you eat breakfast, you're going to eat more healthily throughout the day. So that that's not true. And in fact, some people... Once they start eating, that sort of energizes their desire for more food, and then they want to eat more throughout the day. But when it comes to feeling full, there's a variety of things that go into that, both physiologically and psychologically. It is true that the more, quote-unquote, filling the food is, so the more water and fiber, protein and fat the food has, the more it will fill you up. And it's also the case that solid food fills you up much more than a drink. So, for example... This also speaks to two of my weaknesses, which is getting lattes from Starbucks and also soft-serve ice cream. I was you know, shocked to discover that my latte has about 100 calories more than the soft-serve ice cream that I also like to get. Yeah. And first of all, the ice cream fills me up much more because it's actually semi-solid, and then there's also the little crispy cone. And I think that I'm actually consuming a lot more calories because people think, Ice cream must be much more caloric than just a small latte, when in actual fact, it's really the reverse. When things come very quickly through our mouth and just slide down our throat into our stomach, we don't get the same sensory experience from processing them, so it doesn't make us feel as much as we're consuming something as, for instance, eating an ice cream cone, which actually spends a lot of time in your mouth. And so the feeling of eating contributes to our feelings of fullness. But another thing that's also really interesting is habit. If you have a habit of eating a certain way for certain meals, you may not feel full if you don't have whatever that component of the meal that you typically have is not in a certain meal. So, for instance, if you're mm -hmm. eating ethnic foods that you're not used to eating, you may not feel as full afterwards because you don't have these sort of psychological habits of, well, I know after I have rice or a piece of bread mm -hmm. or something else, Potato, that, that yeah. means the meal is over and I've had enough. When you're confronted with different kinds of foods, you can't go back to those habits. And so sometimes we're not sure if we're hungry or not, or full or not, and then that can make us eat more too. In a way, this is what mindfulness does. That is the game where you're just watching your own mind. Once you have this information, you can say, oh, isn't that interesting? But you need to have the information. You really understand. I do a lot of the things that are in that book, and I don't even know I'm doing them. What about food boredom? Sometimes I want to have the exact same thing for breakfast, and it can go on endlessly. And then all of a sudden, I think if I have that again, it's like the end of the world. What's going on with boredom and the brain? 
Yeah, so that's interesting. And I also just want to throw in one other point mm-hmm. and connected to what you said about mindfulness, which is not only feeling and thinking and seeing our thoughts as we relate to food, but also if we take the time to assess how we feel physically. Some people have kind of lost the connection between what does it feel like to be full or mm-hmm. not. And I think that that's important to regain. And so just to say that. But with respect to boredom, actually, this can work as a diet strategy, although most people don't want to implement it because it is quite tedious and not really that pleasurable, and therein lies the rub, as it were. If you were given the same food to eat constantly, even if you started off with your favorite food, it wouldn't take too long for you to just get sick and tired of eating whatever it was. And if I said, sorry, that's all you get to eat is pepperoni pizza morning, noon, and night, you would actually end up eating less and less and, in fact, losing weight. And this has even been shown in conditions where people are in relatively dire straits with respect to not getting sufficient nutrients and calories. Something extremely pleasurable can go to becoming aversive just from overdoing it. How about this, where someone eats food as fuel and then there's somebody who eats for pleasure and for those two to come together is a clash. What, what, you're laughing. You must have had this experience, but what is that all about? Is that just different wiring? There are people, strange as that may seem, (laughs) I'm certainly not one of them, but I have met them. They're not interested in food in any real way above and beyond what you said, just fuel and necessary energy to keep going or for whatever health reasons. I think there's some aspects to it that may have to do with general personality. It's like, why did the people invent Soylent? The people that invented it completely didn't like food at all. They were looking for like a quick and easy way to get the calories and nutrients they needed to avoid the whole idea of food and cooking. So there is a personality component to it and just a general predisposition. With respect to your foodie friends, I'm sure there are people who are like way off the charts in love with food and other people who are like, yeah, no, I'm into it, but I'm not hugely into it. Mm -hmm. And that goes for all aspects of our personality. And also, I mean, even with respect to how important, for instance, the sense of smell is to you in daily life, like how often do you take the time to stop and smell the roses? These kinds of things vary amongst us. Certainly, you know, when you're face-to-face with someone who's your exact opposite in food terms, it can be difficult if you're trying to have a meal. But, you know, you can learn from each other, too. So maybe asking that person Mm -hmm. who's only interested in food as fuel, why that is, maybe also talking to them more about food, maybe you can encourage them to experience something that they may not have tried. And also probably those types of people don't have a very varied palate or haven't tried all kinds of things. And maybe they haven't found something that really turns them Mm. on with respect to food. So uh, Rachel and Chris, I have a friend who is very much interested in health and fuel, food as fuel, and um, is a lot thinner than I am. <laughs> um, when I say, really, you would never have this or that, you know, things that I love that are so much Ice about cream. pleasure, <laughs> the answer is, oh, what I do is ride the urge. I think if you are a meditator or um, someone who is exceptionally trained in mindfulness, you have that ability to see the urge, feel the urge, but just ride the urge and not take the action. This person, though, actually also confessed to you by saying that they are able to use their mind to control that. So maybe this person Mm. would love to eat all kinds of things, but has been able to train themselves 
to not think about food that way. And but you said something, I think, that's very telling about the person because having that urge means that they do like food deep down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so either. we're, we're going to get to this idea of willpower and why you might beat yourself up for not being able to resist X, Y, or Z. We're going to talk about that next. What's the key in Dr. Herz's mind as a neuroscientist to losing weight or at least keeping it in control, not gaining more weight to start with? Why You Eat What You Eat. Dr. Rachel Herz is our guest. One of the most interesting books I have read all year. We're going to take a short break to tell you how we're going to send this book to your door as a thank you gift for supporting this show and what you love on public radio. We'll be right back. Listeners, if you have the urge to buy this book, do not ride that urge. I want you to pick up the phone right now and dial 1-800-584-2788 or go online to foodschmooze.org. There's no reason to ride this urge out. Click the red donate button in the corner of our homepage and you will see the Food Schmooze exclusive pledge page, $8 a month or a one-time gift of $96 can uh, help you fulfill this <laughs> desire you have for why you eat what you eat. If you are trying to have willpower and not go to the phone, I would say, oh, every once in a while, it's good to relax that. It's like, um, So we really would love to hear from you because we spent, oh, I don't know, a fair amount of time on this end to find something that we think is worth your time. And that's what I do. That's what we do as a group. As a team, when we do this show, that's what it's all about. And we try and pick some of the absolute best. We want to keep going and stay non-commercial with the kind of programming I think that you really can't. I feel this as a listener. You can't find this anyplace else. Driveway moments, you know what that's like. So if you would like us to send you this book, why You Eat What You Eat, The Science Behind Our Relationship with Food by Dr. Rachel Herz, a neuroscientist. $8 a month, you can select this gift for yourself, and it is uh, toll-free. Here's the number. Bring your credit card. 1-800-584-2788. The cost of a cup of coffee in this day and age. 1-800-584-2788. Or go online to foodschmooze.org. You're looking for a recipe for tonight anyway, so when you're on the site, just click the red donate button. You will find, yeah, you'll find Rachel's book on our Food Schmooze pledge page. $8 a month or a one-time gift of $96. And as you can see, we so appreciate your help. This idea of willpower, our brains only have so much willpower capacity And she's going to explain why this happens and why we fail so often to resist my cookies in the freezer. Why, when you see all these people on all these shows on television now pouring wine into goblets, every show is doing this now. And and that's when I start thinking, I believe I should have a glass of wine right now. It's around (laughs) 9, 10 o'clock. So um, this this is how it works. So... Okay, here's the toll-free number, $8 a month. We'll send you this book, and if you have someone you'd like to pass this on to, please feel free to do it. You can give it as a gift. I would say to you, please read it first and then pass it on. Toll-free, 1-800-584-2788. Why you eat what you eat. 
or foodschmooth.org. You'll find lots of information about the book there. And there's always our red donate button in the corner. So please don't forget to click it and get this book. As I said, we're going to talk with Dr. Hers about at this point in her career and after everything she reads, what is something she believes is true about weight loss, calorie control, at least, where you don't gain more weight. Maybe the gift is just staying where you are. We're going to get into all that as the show goes on. Okay, Robin, send us on our way. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to support the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze and all of the local shows on Connecticut Public Radio. Or go to our website. You can donate there, foodschmooze.org. And thanks. I'm Faith Middleton. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, New York including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and that means the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And I am with Chris Prosperi, the senior contributor, to hear this show on Connecticut Public Radio. It airs Thursdays at 3 and at 9, and then Saturdays at noon, right after Wait, Wait. Uh, podcasts are curated recommendations, including this book, are always online at foodschmooze.org, and you can pledge there, too. Our guest is Dr. Rachel Hers, neuroscientist, Why You Eat What You Eat. This is about the science behind our relationship with food, and there are keys in here, Chris, to understanding calorie control, pleasure, what's bad for us, and how to circumvent what the brain can do, willpower. We all have somehow been raised to think, I don't know what did this, Yes, Chris is doing his yeah, arms in a strong it. way. I, I can I'm in do control. This. I can do this. I'm very inspired right now. <laughs> um, well, that runs out pretty fast, we've all learned. If I'm using a book as inspiration, I honestly have to go back and reread but to why? re-inspire myself. And I realize now it's because I'm running out of willpower. Dr. Hurst, can you explain how that works in the brain? Willpower comes from our brain, and our brain can only do so much. It needs fuel, it needs power, and it can't just do infinite things forever, and especially infinite multitasking forever. And although we don't really think of willpower as being, you know, multitasking, we are usually doing something else while we're trying to impose our willpower. And so that means that your brain is working on multiple problems at once, and especially if those other problems take a lot of mental energy, so complex problem solving when you're working and you, you know, really trying to focus, you have like hard things you have to do, you have deadlines and so forth. Also, exerting the energy required for willpower, which is very consuming, actually, and takes a lot of mental effort and conscious online, I will not go into the break room and have those donuts, thinking that can definitely interfere with your ability to do these Mm. complex tasks and also vice versa. So normally we actually let, and usually for good reason, work and that kind of thing take over. You know, you're not going to be thinking about not having donuts instead of doing the project that you have to complete for your boss or whatever. So we let that energy go into other things. And because there's only a certain amount of energy the brain can 
sort of manifest and also keep going with respect to what it has to do, other things tend to slide. And the surprising thing, and I'm glad you mentioned sugar before, because I feel like sugar definitely has gotten too much of a bad rap. I mean, definitely sugar is a culprit for many ills of today with respect to obesity. Mm -hmm. But the number one fuel for our brain is sugar. It's okay to have sugar, just not too much of it. And sometimes your brain actually can benefit from a little bit of sugar, especially if you have hard tasks to do and if you are trying to control yourself, whatever the case might be. And so a little sugar can actually help you with willpower, help you stay on track, which is why maybe if you can eke out a tiny bit of a treat, just get enough sweetness to sort of satisfy that desire for something sweet and give your brain a little jolt, and then walk away and not eat the entire donut or box. Of Dr. Hurst, <laughs> this is this is the first time you've made me understand. When I'm yeah. in Europe, everybody at around four or five o'clock is in a cafe, yeah. and they're having a little tiny piece of cake and a little coffee or with maybe a little wine yeah, or and something. And now I, I've sugar. never understood. I thought, mm-hmm. what in the world are they doing at this hour? You know, now when is dinner? But I get it now. They have to go back to work because they get off late and they dine very late. So what they're doing, I think, is getting that little bit of sugar hit. Mm-hmm. So now we know about willpower. The amount of food and choices and seduction about food and wine and drink of any kind in the United States of America is astonishing. What makes sense to you in terms of weight control, weight loss? When you see, especially on television, but it could be online or in magazines, people consuming delicious, really evocative, attractive things, whether it's food TV and everybody's diving in, you know, to all this luscious stuff or large goblets of wine, (laughs) whatever Mm -hmm. the case might be. When we see other people doing this and when it looks really attractive, we want it as well. Mm -hmm. Actually, what's funny is I've never been a smoker, but when I watch one of those old black and white movies and everybody's smoking, I'm like, I want a cigarette. (laughs) It looks like it's so much fun to smoke a cigarette. But uh, the stuff is extremely seductive, what we see. And, you know, food porn is real. I mean, it's called food porn for a reason. I mean, it is extremely seductive and extremely attractive, and therefore we are drawn to it. So with respect to advice, I would say being aware that this is what's going on. And so, you know, when you're looking at someone cutting into this, you know, giant, fantastic-looking cheeseburger and all the juices are dripping off the sides and you go, oh, I really want that too right now, say to yourself, okay, I know I really don't feel hungry and I only want it because it looks so good. And now I have to ask myself a second question. If I went out and got that and ate that, what kind of pleasure would it really give me? And this goes back to what I was saying earlier, that it's really about assessing the extent to which you are getting what you want from the food in terms Mm -hmm. of real joy. And another thing I think this is relevant here is the issue of stress. So when we're stressed, you know, stress is a negative state to be in. And the easiest thing to turn to is something that gives us a quick fix. And high fat, high sugar, carbohydrate food does that for us. It literally both activates dopamine in the brain, which is a neurotransmitter involved in reward and pleasure. It also triggers our natural endorphin system. So it's literally like our internal opiates, you know, damping down the pain that we may be feeling from the point of view of our emotions at that moment. And that stuff is all real. 
But it's a question of kind of making decisions and being aware of these things. I mean, unfortunately, another thing that happens when we're unhappy and stressed is that things taste less sweet. So we actually dampen down our perception of sweetness. So therefore, we need to eat more sweet in order to get our dose of sweet, as it were. Mm. So being aware of this, I think, again, this all goes back to sort of knowledge is power and just being aware of all these things and kind of thinking, hmm, what is going on right now with me? What's going on with my desire for certain foods? What's going on with when I actually eat those foods? Is it giving me what I want or not? And just sort of taking the time, even if it's only, you know, a moment to assess the calorie in versus pleasure out (laughs) equation and whether or not it's really balancing for you. That is so well said. So let me do the last paragraph in your book. I normally, yeah, Chris, I normally don't do something like this, but I can tell that while you do the work you do, you are also a true food appreciator because you wrote this. Food nourishes the body and the soul, and knowing how to get the most from our senses and our mind while eating makes it all that it can be. Food is an aesthetic immersion, whether you turn a salad into a Kandinsky painting or not. Food connects us to our past, to other people, to the world, and to ourselves. Food is memory, celebration, identity, conversation, emotion, glory, pleasure, pain, fear, disgust, comfort, and guilt. Food is aromatic, salty, sour, sweet, bitter, savory, tingly, hot, and cold. Food is flavor and savor, art and sight, sound and music, texture and design, words and poetry, divine and decadent. Food is love and food is life. And knowledge of how our mind and body are affected by our food choices and how our senses and psychology alter our experience of food and the consequences of eating is power. Dr. Rachel Hers, I want to tell you, and as I thank you for this book, your work, and being on the show, I want to say one of the things we're proudest of here on the show is that we are a calorie-free food experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love it. <laughs> this, is how you, the show. <laughs> this is how you just, this is like the pornography part without the, uh, without the calories. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Faith and Chris and Robin. It was a true delight to be on. The book is Why You Eat What You Eat by neuroscientist Dr. Rachel Hers, and we have arranged with her and the publisher. Um, we've got a lot of books here because we know this is a very popular item, and we would like to send this to your door, and Robin is going to start the conversation of how that happens. For $8 a month or a one-time gift of $96, you can give yourself the gift of why you eat what you eat. You can do that by calling 1-800-584-2788. You can pledge that way. A very nice person will pick up the phone and take your book order. Or go to foodschmooze.org. 
and you will see a red donate button on the right hand corner of our homepage. When you click it, you will be led to a Food Schmooze exclusive donating experience. So you'll see Dr. Herz's book. You'll see some other gifts that we've offered up for recent shows. I think there's a yacht. There's a Rolex. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But, but Unfortunately, is, the no. book is what you want. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. unbelievable. The Pick the book. Give yourself the gift of why you eat what you eat so you can know all the interesting evolutionary reasons why you do what you do when you sit down at the dinner table. Yeah, OLED television. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> the gifts are amazing. <laughs> well, maybe it's as basic as this. Commercial-free and a lot of people, colleagues who just are knocking themselves out to make this an experience that is authentic and serious and fun, reflecting the richness of life in both its glory and challenges. I think that's what public radio is all about. Chris, she is amazing, right? Amazing. And it's a book we need because it really tells us what's going on in our minds. I can't tell you how many times I said, I do that, I do that, but now I know why I do it, and maybe now I can change that habit. That's a great point, because our minds are, in a way, geared to just keep going, to not stop and think about what is happening to me right now. This is a way. Oh, I see. And then when it happens in your brain, you can work with that. Uh, If you can afford to join us at the $8 a month level as a gift to keep us on the air, keep us commercial free, allow us to keep bringing you everything we do, both local, national, and international, We will send this book as our thank you gift, and it is Talk About Richness of Life. This is it. Our toll-free number is 1-800-584-2788. Or go to our website, foodschmooze.org, and you will see the red donate. I know I keep saying it, but, you know, some people don't know. There's a red donate button on the the right-hand corner. Yeah. Click on the red donate button. You will see our beautiful Food Schmooze page. I love it. I like to go just to make sure the books are all there, and I like to see what maybe people are interested in. Yeah, uh, you will see Dr. Herz's book, Front and Center, Why You Eat What You Eat. And for a pledge of $8 a month or a one-time gift of $96, if you can manage that, if you can do that, it would help to support the mm-hmm. Food Schmooze. You know, she is the intersection of so many things I love. Uh, she's not into a lot of nonsense or false information or speculation. She is someone who who loves food herself, so she's into the pleasure of it. Her specialty is, as a neuroscientist, is emotion and our relationship with food. She gets the psychology of all of this and has tried to explain it all to us in terms of how the brain works. And I just think that intersection is one of the best things that we could give you. So again, toll free, 1-800, bring your charge card to the phone, 1-800-584-2788. Or you're looking for recipes on foodschmooze.org? Hit the red donate button on the right-hand corner of our homepage. Click on this book Make your donation of $8 a month, which means you're becoming a member of Connecticut Public Radio. So, yes, come on board with us. Or we will also appreciate a one-time gift of $96, and we will send you this book with our deep, deep, deep appreciation. Mm, Yes. We want you to feel like you have a seat at the table, but a real seat. This is one of the ways to do it. Thank you.